From Santa Barbara, California, the Timeless Voyager series, where the knowledge is timeless and you are the Voyager. Interviews with leading-edge authors and speakers, psychic phenomena and the unexplained, UFOs, extraterrestrial encounters, government cover-ups, alternative health care, new technologies. Fasten your cosmic seatbelts and join me, your host, Bruce Stephen Holmes, the Timeless Voyager. Hello, everyone. Bruce Stephen Holmes, the Timeless Voyager. My guest today is Ellie Molina. She has authored two books, Children Who Know How to Know and Annabelle and the Domino. She is a speaker and has a weekly podcast, Ask Ellie, Intuitive Insights. Finally, Ellie is a researcher and a visionary. She is paving the way with her research and background in education teaching children and their parents to trust their intuition and develop conscious awareness. Ellie is creating cutting-edge programs that can harness the skills like remote viewing, telepathy, telekinesis, and others to be applied in everyday life. Welcome to the show, Ellie. Oh, thank you so much for having me today, Bruce. I'm really excited to be here. Great. It's good to have you, and I, I, um, I'm looking forward to this. So let me start out by saying this. You say that everyone has psychic abilities. It's just that we don't use them or don't know how to access them. Well, um, we're all born with them, and... It is just as natural as speaking, tasting, smelling, feeling. It's one of our senses. It's probably our first sense, even though we consider the sixth senses. But I believe it's one of our first. And so it it is there. It exists. And then as the child grows and starts to develop and gets older, it is ignored. And most people, most parents don't use it. Most people don't even recognize it. And then over the years, children begin to lose it. And then when we reach adulthood and we're back to, oh, gee, you know, I knew that. I knew it. I needed to trust my intuition. It was there all along. It's almost as if um, you're learning to think about it as a child, learning to speak a particular language. And then um, you go some, the child goes somewhere else and then they lose that language, but maybe it comes back a little bit later or quicker when they're an adult. So it is a skill that is there and then it is lost and we need to regain that skill if we're interested in regaining that skill. So you have developed methods, I guess, to allow people to access them. You say it's simple, but sometimes uh-huh. belief systems and fear have an effect of, I guess, obstructing them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just conversation. Remember, we know there's so much that we know now about the way that reality works. We know that language creates reality. That is a, that's a given. And if there's anyone who still, you know, has doubts about that, well, that's something that someone may want to take a look at 
and see what is it that you don't believe about that or what is causing a doubt there. Language creates reality. So as we speak what we speak, we are putting things into reality. And um, children start to listen. Babies, when they're in, in the womb, they're in their mom, you know, they're beginning to hear, they hear, they have auditory abilities at that as they're developing. And so they're listening to conversations. And then by the time they're born, these conversations, you know, they learn to speak the language. And if a parent has a belief or a knowingness that everyone is intuitive and everyone is psychic and everyone has these abilities, well, that belief, that conversation is going to be prevalent in the home between partners or people or friends. And the child is going to hear that. And just the way some children grow up believing in Santa Claus and get all disappointed, children who learn to um, accept or believe that we all have telekinetic telepathic, psychic powers, not even powers, abilities, they're going to be the ones who are easily going to be able to use it and develop it. That's really interesting. And the fact that uh, when you when I hear it this way, and I'm sure the people that are listening, all of a sudden it occurs to them, well, of course, because how do we learn anything about our perceived reality? We learn it through listening to the people around us, experiencing it that way, and and we look to our mentors, our parents, uh, our uh, even our siblings, and certainly teachers, and 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 now of course social media. Um, all of these things come together, and they form our belief systems. And and you say that um, that the the child's natural belief system uh-huh. is that this is okay. This is why I guess they have. Um, uh, I was going to say, well, see, we, we again, if, if you said that their friend who was invisible was an invisible friend, that would be one thing. So you're not negating the fact that they have a friend. But uh-huh. if you said, oh, that's cute, but remember, that's not somebody that's really there. Now uh-huh. you have changed the perception. What, uh-huh. what is your comment on that? Uh, that's exactly the way that it goes. So if you remember back to think back to the movie, if you've ever seen it, um, the gods must be crazy with the Kalahari Bushmen who have this ability to click in their language. We cannot recreate that now. At least I couldn't, even if I practiced, but yet it is so natural and normal for the child growing up in that particular culture that it's not even an, it's not even a thought. Like how could you not be able to do that? So, If you had a child who is growing up and learns that there is so much more than what we see with the limited vision of our eyes. I mean, like Bruce, if I didn't have a a thing here, I wouldn't know what's going on. If I wasn't looking at a screen, I wouldn't know what's happening behind my head. I don't have vision there. So if we're walking around with six inches of vision, Are you going to tell me that there are not other things that we can see if we were trained differently? I mean, just think about it. And so the psychic abilities are not just contained within our eyesight. I mean, it's feelings, it's auras, it's surrounding us, it's all around us. It's connecting into higher intelligence. Now, we know that all of these things are real and exist because we've got plenty of people who talk about this the way that other people talk about the weather. Okay. So, um, it's, it still amazes me that, that, um, there are conversations that 
I have almost where people like, like I'm convincing them. I mean, like, really? Okay. (laughs) It's like, really? When everyone does have all of these um, experiences at some point in their life, everyone. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because the reality is that unless this is probably a special case, every person has had deja vu, which Uh everyone goes, wow, that's weird. It's not really weird, but it's weird because they're not experiencing it all the time. But many people have this ability uh, to, let's say, know or think about, I should call so-and-so. And the Uh phone rings and it's that person. Uh And everybody goes, whoa, that's really weird. But it's not weird, is it? No, not at all. It's very normal. And there are cultures that rely back in the day before we got down there with our um, technology that relied solely on telepathic communication. And they're historically relied solely on telepathic communication, and they still do. So we can teach this. It's not even teaching it. We can, it's like, okay, yes, we can, a child learns how to read. A child learns how to speak. So now we can actually just say, okay, fine. You're born with this ability. So let's use it. Let's fine tune it. Let's see what we can do with this. So I'm going to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, do you think that the fact that we have telephones, social media, computers, all these devices for communicating that that has in a sense, I I don't like to use the word obstruct, but I I think obstruct is a a fair, a fair word to use. Do you think that has obstructed our ability to use the natural abilities to communicate, including, uh, well, all the abilities we were, we've talked about so far. Um, I wouldn't say that. So I'm going to phrase it differently. I'm not going to say that it's obstructing because the beauty of it is that if we're messaging somebody, we can, of course, text message somebody at the same time that they're text messaging, messaging us and we can have that. That's like proof. So that is like, oh, look at the evidence. We are telepathically connecting right now. So you have, it can be looked at, oh, wow, this is a really wonderful way of confirmation, having evidence, right? You know, back in the day um, when we're on the phone, I was just thinking about you, but it's not quite the same evidence as looking at an email coming through and a text message going out at the exact same moment and that it is recorded on the internet. So that to me is exciting to use it as evidence. For me, the the downside is that there's a dumbing down of people, but that is a whole other conversation. So that leads into the non-thinking, not being present, turning into going, reverting back, to not even reverting, like never leaving the space that we're in of sleepwalking, automation, you know, we are 99.9% habitual beings saying the same thing, thinking the same things, everything is automated. So the actual um, concept of being present is is not really a taught, and most people don't know how to be it. They use the word, but they do not know what that really looks like. To be able to step out of automation, habitual thinking, habitual ways of being, and step into being present, literally present, because it is at that moment that amazing things happen in the quantum field. So 
with that knowledge that can be taught to children. So then technology doesn't interfere. However, if it's not taught, then technology, TV, video game, it's just another, another beautiful way of dumbing down. Hmm. That's why it's interesting the way that you, the way that you took, uh, and, and, and I wasn't sure about the word obstruct anyway, so I'm glad you were able to rephrase that. But it was it was interesting to see the example of texting, because the way that you uh, used texting texting was that I was communicating a thought to you, and, but you were not. But now the difference would be, let's say, instead of you receiving the thought without help, I'm thinking of the texting as as taking the place of what is already there but you are not saying that were you no i'm saying no i'm I'm, maybe i'm not understanding i'm saying that these two things are happening simultaneously all right i'm texting you you're texting me and then so basically we are on the same frequency our thoughts are now empathically connecting and the evidence is that your text is coming through at the same moment as my text Okay, and so um, I was off on a different a different tangent there. I was talking about the idea that that to me, or the way that I was describing it was, I was thinking of texting taking the place of, for example, Clara audience. Oh, I see. I see. Um, no, not to me. All right, because you're just like okay. you know. Oh, hey. <laughs> um, yeah. That's I, all right. It's good. We're, well, you know, we're learning a little bit here about. I'm about just thinking. So what I hear, it wouldn't be to me. It's not. It's not taking the place of because you're just you're getting those thoughts. But now, now to me, it's just like whoa, I'm communicating right back at you. So it's not mm-hmm. like me getting those thoughts and then sitting there with them and wondering and then not being able to communicate. That's a different. That's a different realm. You're right. That's a different realm. Okay. All right. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I noticed was that you believe that children are naturally in the alpha state. Oh, that's and- documented. All right. So that's right. right. That's um, science. Mm -hmm. That is science. The children are naturally in the alpha state. Yeah. The brain waves. Uh Okay. I mean, I know that you, you, you mentioned that, uh, that adults would be in the alpha state, but not when they're. Only when they're meditating, Bruce, we go into alpha when we're meditating. People that are in the alpha state all of the time. I mean, there um, are. The, it's okay, possible. Yeah. It's possible, but for the most part, let's say we're talking now. We're talking brain studies, okay? So if we take the average, if we take the percentages, you know, there's always going to be an exception to the uh-huh. rule. But mostly, if we're doing brain science, we're going to see that ninety some odd percent, ninety nine, ninety eight. I don't know the statistics are in beta brain wave after puberty. Hmm. Beta okay. is well, that's interesting. Now you say then that that the natural access to psi abilities is, I guess, not in alpha. No, it is an alpha. It's an alpha okay. or it a is lower. An alpha? Mm-hmm. But what about theta? Isn't theta one of those areas also? Yes, it's an alpha and theta. It's it's what I'm saying is that it is not okay. beta. Okay, so it is in the okay, lower. No, we're, we're agreeing. We're agreeing. I'm just kind of like trying to get yeah. get the statement together. So I guess the point is that that you um, are are 
taking these this one step farther then you're saying that children can develop these abilities beyond what their adults can imagine when the children are fostered and nurtured in this natural alpha state mm-hmm. yeah and most people wouldn't think of that that's why i was bringing it up you mm-hmm. this is what you're doing basically yeah is that you know- correct or Yes. So for me, it's so I forget that, you know, like, you know how we think that everybody knows what we're talking about because we talk about it all the time. So for me, um, this is my world. I live in this world. You know, I do psychic readings during the day. I do um, all kinds of manifesting and magic and take my clients through quantum leaps and so and work with the children in this field. So for it's almost that for me, this is so normal and natural that um, I forget that other people don't have the same perspective. I lose perspective that other people don't have the same perspective that I have. Okay. And, uh, and, and so you're always a, wow, you're lucky and <laughs> we're not, I don't know. But you're saying we can actually develop that if we're, if we were, let's say not only listening to this, uh, broadcast, for example, but began to try to apply this either through learning from you or other people. The point is that these psi abilities can be developed. And I think what's most importantly uh, important about your work is that you say that it creates compassionate young people with levels of high esteem, confidence, and compassion. What's it, what's it do for us old adults? <laughs> and emotional intelligence. Okay, when done. Yeah, let's from- talk about that. Let's talk about that because you, you talk a lot about that, and I think it's, it's time to, to get there. So for me, when is, you know, let's look at it from a child, right? We look at it as developmental. So we know with the behavior of two year olds, we can go back and look at behavioral. Um, books and cognitive development. And we know that two-year-olds throw temper tantrums. This is, you know, three-year-olds start asking questions and we can go through the whole thing, but we see that the behavior of a five and a six-year-old, four-year-old is a very, there's a typical behavior that is associated with that age. Example, I don't want to do this. No, you can't make me. I don't want to. That is a very, that's a young age conversation. With emotional intelligence, awareness kicks in and the chronologically older person has the awareness that that is a very young age conversation. So a person who goes through life without having knowledge of conversations, how old how old they are being, who are aware of their behavior, who are unaware of their emotional behavior, can become older adult, adult, will become older adults who are in older bodies and still acting like young children. We see it, you know, we see it all the time. And, you know, one of my favorite examples, and this is where I was like, old enough to date myself if anybody remembers uh, who Nikita Khrushchev was. And if you don't, you can Google search and look him up. Okay. So I'm one of those people who knows. So go ahead. Okay. 
All right. Well, there are people, there's so many people who don't, right? Of course, of course. If anybody wants to, just go Google search him. Okay. You'll go see. Anyway, when he was, I remember being a young child. I don't remember exactly how old I was watching a black and white television set. And Khrushchev was at the United Nations giving a speech. And he was so upset that he took off his shoe and started to bang on the podium. Now, you know, that would have gone viral back in the day. It did go pretty viral for what we had on TV. That was a beautiful, beautiful um, example of lack of emotional intelligence. Why would a 60 or 70 year old man at that time have to take off his shoe to bang on a podium to get attention? How old is that behavior? What is the behavior of that person? Yeah, six five, but yet here he is publicly and official. So you see, these are the things that I teach because emotional intelligence allows us to control those infantile. And I don't mean this in an, any sort of negative way. I'm talking infantile in developmental. Sure. Oh, you're, you're, this is, you're explaining it very well. Oh, thank you. This infantile behavior in an adult yeah. body. And we've seen this with many presidents. We've seen this with many politicians. We see this with a lot of people, many, you know, older adults. You, you know, we see this at nursing homes and they're fighting over seats like they did when they were children. All right. And it's not because they're old and senile. It's because they lack emotional intelligence. <laughs> that's yeah. And that's good because I wanted to ask you, what your definition of emotional intelligence was or is and you did it really well i don't i don't have to go there now but i but i noticed that that you say that it it um creates emotionally healthy mm-hmm. mature adults mm-hmm. and affects overall intelligence mm-hmm. so in order to have a high level of emotional intelligence you have to have control over your emotions in order to have control over your emotions you have to have awareness of them so what we're doing when i start working with children in my programs um emotions are going to come through you know if you're doing a remote view let's say remote view anybody who doesn't know what that is remote viewing is being able to see over time distance and space without the use of your physical eyes so if a child is doing a remote view and they don't have let's call it a hit or a bullseye they don't they don't get the answer that they were expecting or hoping for well they're going to have an emotion because that's normal and so what we do in the program is work with those emotions identify those emotions learn what to do with those emotions so they do not interfere or then carry over and created stories. Oh, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Let me throw it away. Let me not do it again. All right. Those are, those are normal emotions for young children. But when we get a little bit older, we want to start, even young children can learn how to work with those emotions if they are given guidance. And that's what's, you know, that's part of the program because a lot of that is missing. You know, I don't want, I can go off on a tangent now, you know, in, in schools where teachers are working with um, 30 some odd children, there's no time in most cases to work on emotional intelligence like that, having kids have temper tantrums. So normally what happens is that the kid just goes into timeout or they are put in detention later when they're older. You know, there's always some sort of punitive behavior as opposed to 
It's like, I was thinking to myself, just to interrupt for a second, I was thinking to myself, you said time out, and immediately I thought to myself, well, that's what prison is. <laughs> prison is a time out. <laughs> so that's how you do it for adults. Yeah, it's the institution. It's just, you know, school is education. School is an institution, whether you want, no matter what you want to call it. And so when a parent has emotional intelligence, higher levels of emotional intelligence, at that moment where a kid's having a temper tantrum, that is the opportune moment, even if they're pre-verbal, to hold them or to have conversations with them as to what is going on really quickly. It doesn't have to be a reaction time out until you come calm down. It doesn't have to be that way. But in you, order you to... Think, oh, I'm sorry. You need to know this and not to do that, right? Because we, we raise our kids the way that we've been raised and the way... Yes. We, so, yeah. So there's got to be more education. So as parents, you need to understand that not only is what you do being learned... But if you don't understand that now, uh, when you become a grandparent, you don't have to become a grandparent to have it happen. But what you do start seeing is that your older children are doing that very thing that you should have done something about then. Now, is it too late? That that I mean, because you actually say it's probably not too late. But is it, is it? Well, let me let me just ask you that. Is it too late? Not if you have conversations with with people. Okay, no, it's never too late. Because people, once once a person becomes an adult, uh-huh. this is what I've seen. And, and you said, okay, I'll go, just back up for a second. When you said, it's this adult body with the child inside it running the show. You didn't uh-huh. say that exactly, but I mean, that's, I think, what you were saying. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so we're basically pretending that we're adults all yeah. of the time, actually. Because we can, because we realized that we took a certain stature. I, m- I remember one time when someone said to me, I, was, I probably was about 25. And I was, uh, in those days, I was a full-time musician and I was doing all kinds of things. And I said something about uh, this production to the, uh, to the producer. And he said, well, yeah, he said, that's a good idea, but you're not actually old enough now. I couldn't believe that he said that. So I thought to myself, well, I wasn't going to argue because it was not the place to argue. But I thought to myself, this is not right. Just because I'm only 25, my idea is is fine, is definitely relevant. Yeah. yeah. And and um, so if we take that, well, we take that example. So he at that point was just taking the idea that because he was older and looked older. That made him like, and I always give this example, I was like the kid in third grade taking directions from the kid in seventh grade, because when you're in seventh grade, you know more, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Right, so right, right. This is what's happening around us, though, and then we're seeing it. Now, this is what I was going towards. With the advent of social media and, and 24-hour news cycles and everything, children are being exposed to adults that are acting like children. Mm-hmm. And I guess accepting it, certainly seeing it really big because media makes everything so much bigger. It's one thing to have your uncle like that and everybody goes, oh, well, that's uncle, blah, blah, blah. Don't take it so seriously. But when it's not your uncle, when it's a guy who's a senator 
or you know, or the president or an ex-president or whatever, all of a sudden it, it's bigger than life. And that has a major effect, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's shaping the culture. It's shaping the thoughts. It's shaping the next generation. So it's, yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see what happens down the line, you know, the results of what we've been living through. Well, we're at a turning point because a lot of what we are, um, I mean, we're, we're all in a sense new to this, explosion of the 24-hour news cycle, the immediate reactions through social media and so on and so forth, that is pretty new. I mean, this is really only at the most 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. having a major effect, which we're we're probably already beginning to see and don't know that that's what it was about. It takes that amount of hindsight to say, oh, yeah, that was what happened at that time. It was because of this or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You talk about um, teaching children and adults uh, that the power of thought and language creates adults and children who know they are conscious creators of their own reality. Why don't you comment a little bit on that? Okay. So, um, yes, the last few days I've been doing a lot of biblical quotes for some particular reason, even though I don't know the Bible that well. But I do remember that there is some quote in the Bible that says, first came the word, right? Doesn't it begin somewhere like that? First came the word. So the word is the creative process. We create our reality through our words. We have a thought we speak it, it turns into an action, it turns into a creation. Oh, I'm going to go buy, I'm going to go design something. Well, it was, or you have an idea, you have a concept, you're going to buy a new car. So there comes the word, oh, I'm going to go buy a new car. I need a new car. So now all of a sudden, what happens? You start looking for new cars. You start looking for models and makes, et cetera, et cetera. So this is just a simple example. But now we are unconsciously creating all the time. We're always talking about what we don't want. And that is what we bring in rather. And so if we are unconsciously creating, we are also allowing other people who are more conscious in their creations to create for us. And we are just in a default. I call it a default place. Now, when we're doing this work, the work that I teach, it is teaching children and adults about becoming conscious and focused and present to their vocabulary, present to their thoughts, present to their situations, but mostly present to their thoughts, thoughts and words. They can then choose to become conscious creators, what they speak, what they think, what they do, who they are, who they're being. And that leads to a whole different result than just being in um, a big sleeper state. Let's call it like that. Okay. So can I do a little tangent? Um, I remember, I remember back in the day when I was studying the fourth way, which is uh, the teachings of Ospensky and Gurdjieff and Gurdjieff was a, a philosopher from the Middle East and Russia. And he coined, I don't know if he was the first one to use this the vocabulary, but it really, the teachings come down through him a lot, uh, probably based on things that he learned when he was in India and the, and in 
the Middle East is that we human beings, even though he didn't have neuroscience, we are asleep. We are we're in this automatic automated sleeper state. And in this sleeper state, we're really unconscious. And so we are traveling around doing things. Just think about when you're, again, really typical example, when you're driving and you know how to drive really well and you're driving now two hours and then all of a sudden you're home and you don't have any recollection of driving two hours to get home. It just went like that. But the moment that you're now driving through a really, really heavy, heavy rainstorm where you may need to pull over, you can't even have the radio on and people can't talk to you because you are so present and this becomes a cognitive a cognitive moment where you are really present like it was that first day that you started driving. So 99.9% of the time we are in that space of zoned out, knowing how to tie your shoes without thinking, knowing how to do this, do that. We don't even know, where did I put my keys? Well, you don't know because you weren't present to when you put them down. So with the point with Gurdjieff is that when we learn how to wake up, during the day, during the intervals, because we normally and naturally go to sleep because the mind cannot just can't handle it. But when we start practicing during the day to become conscious, stop, stop for a moment, become conscious, become aware, know what you're doing, stop, you know, become present at that moment. Well, that is, like I said before, magic can happen in those moments. And that is where all of these abilities, the psychic abilities, all of this phenomena really lies in that in that space. You want to call it a gap space, that space where we are so conscious and so present that we have power to do things that are just phenomenal. Yeah, I think that uh, he was calling that self-remembering, actually. Yes, he does. Um, Remember the self. That's right. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, I studied, I've been studying Gurji for a long time. (laughs) It's nice to hear somebody talk about it. Um, So this training in awareness, Mm -hmm. you say, creates concentration, which I think a lot of people would find pragmatic. Can you explain Uh that a little bit? Well, we're not, yeah, sure. We're not taught how to concentrate, okay? We just use these words. You know, you go to school, teacher says to you, concentrate. What does that look like? Okay, sit down, look at the book. What does that look like to concentrate? Concentration is awareness. It is when we take our awareness from all of these other spaces that we have, okay? Oh, and let's say I'm hungry or I'm tired and I, you know, you're doing, we call it when the mind wanders. The mind is not wandering at all. The mind is just going to different points in the, in, in its, whatever you want to call it in that space, okay? Now, but when we have our awareness, it's like a flashlight. You shine that flashlight onto one particular thing. That is when your awareness goes onto that. And in that space, that is where you can then focus and concentrate. So if I tell you right now, you know what, Bruce, think about the last wedding that you went to. Well, you're going to pull out a memory. You're going to think about that. And then I'm going to tell you, all right, you know what? Now think about the last time that you played an instrument in public. All right, now you just went there. So you see, I can direct where your awareness goes. I can direct where your consciousness goes. So when people say, oh, you know, I can't concentrate or I can't focus, that's not true. They're just letting themselves roam around in their head and get pulled in by other by other agendas by distractions and so the ability to concentrate and focus is there it is just not taught without doing too much of a jump you teach or use remote viewing comment on that and maybe we had some examples to show some some things that you did with children 
Oh, absolutely. And I would love to do that. Okay. Let's talk about, uh, I, I call this the walk by. This is that first image that I sent you with the, um, picture of some, like a caricature. It's like a little, a little boy with black hair, Jon Snow. And that's a drawing, a black and white drawing. Um, Okay, so I want to tell that. That's this. I want to tell this story. This is like the greatest story. So I was during COVID time. I was teaching an online psychic development program for adults, and the. Um, adults were put into an alpha state and everything was on Zoom. And we are working now seeing over time, distance and space and hidden behind my screen. So they could not see what was on the other side of my screen. Hidden behind my screen was this image of Jon Snow, you know, over here, the, the character with his black hair and his sword. And nobody could see that. Uh, because it was hidden behind the screen. The viewers did not have access to that. So this little boy was about five. He was, I think his mom told me he was five years old. He walks by and he sees the screen with, and I had a, a manila envelope on the screen. Okay. And he says, mom, what are you doing? She goes, oh, I'm looking in that manila envelope. And he said, oh, that's so easy, mom. And she goes, really? And he goes, yeah, this is what's inside. And he grabs this piece of lined paper And he starts to draw this picture over here. You know, look at the black hair and the thing that looks like a sword. And it's a a human. And then he writes, he tells her, because he can't write, he says, it's power and dragons. Now, this was all done within not even a minute, Bruce. And then she shows me this picture. And I'm like, okay, now look look at the target reveal. Look what this is. This is known as a bullseye. A bullseye. Because anybody who knows who this Jon Snow character is, knows that he is power and dragons. That's part of the storyline. And if you look at, if you just look at it, I mean, the kid could have drawn a box. He could have drawn an elephant. He could have drawn a flower, but he didn't. This is what he saw. And he had never had any experience or training or conversation about this in his life. Pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. It's very incredible. But you see, these are the things now other people looking at this for the first time was saying, oh, that's not possible. Oh, that's just a fluke. I see this all the time. I see it all the time. So if you want to yeah. do another, you have another, yeah, one. Have another yeah. example. Let's, let's do uh-huh. that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you like me to bring up first? The uh... All right. So in my psychic development program with children, I was working with a bunch of kids and I had a young girl uh, age eight. I believe she was eight or nine. I'm not quite sure now. And this was the target that was hidden. Again, the image is hidden behind the screen. It's usually in a manila envelope. And so they just get to see the manila envelope. And then I have them start drawing. They put their pens or papers to the thing and they get some time to draw and they just draw what they see or believe they see behind the manila envelope. And let's take a look at what she saw. This was pretty incredible. She actually wrote the word cupcake. So you see she has cupcake, cake, candy, um, and here she has her cupcake. And so when you think about this, we were thousands of miles apart. We were on the screen. We had never met. There was, you know, very typical results. And I could go on and I actually do go on when I'm presenting at the International Remote Viewers Conference. I always love to show these these images, the new ones that are being done. Only 
the good thing about being at the International Remote Viewers Conference is that I never have to like, you know, like tell anybody this is real because they just know it. Okay. This is like, oh yeah, given, this is a given. Of course they can do this. All right. We need more kids doing this. All right. What can you do about that? You know? So, um, that's what I do. And, um, I just had just as a little aside over here, Betsy Chassie, who is the cre- one of the co-producers and creators of the NAM 2004 film, What the Bleep. I'm not sure if anybody remembers that movie, What the Bleep. Um, sure. Yeah. So Betsy is doing a documentary right now. It's called The Galileo Project. And so for The Galileo Project, Betsy came over here to my home and in April. And then we had some remote views going on and we had, um, I can't, talk about it right now too detailed but we did remote viewing with uh children a child and we're gonna you know again just it's so normal it's so natural it is just something that they know how to do and when they are taught this just imagine the level like i asked the kid that i was just working with recently okay he got a bullseye all right just like that again same thing you know he sees my blank screen he gets an envelope or i give him a number and then he has the target and then i said well after when he gets the hit you know he gets a bullseye and i said how do you feel and he said oh god i feel so good i feel so great i feel i feel confident i it's like something happens in your body just you know bruce you you know when you remote view and you get your target right something happens there's like a a reaction in your body it's like yes i did it um a certain kind of feeling of superpower knowing that we can we can do so much more than you know than what we believe ourselves to be capable of you know, from spoon bending to remote viewing to out of body experiences to creating to just, just, we're amazing. We're just so amazing. Humans are so amazing. Yeah. This, if, if there's, this is great evidence. Um, and, and I just want to go over one once again, because I make sure that people understand you have the real picture hidden in uh-huh. what, you, what you call the manila envelope. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. the person can be uh, in the same room or, or three or four, 10,000, no, maybe not 10,000 miles away, but... Yeah, they can be 10,000 miles away. They, they can, can be. be. It has not, nothing to do with the, the, the place. Uh-uh. And uh-uh. It's, what they're going to do is draw a picture of, uh-huh. of what is in that manila envelope that you have. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And so those were just two examples. Both of them happen to be children. Mm-hmm. But from now on, when people hear about remote viewing, just because of this very, very great explanation, people will no longer wonder what that means or let it fly by. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was excellent. I wanted to say I appreciated that a lot. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I mean, you know, it's just um, I'm looking over here to grab some cards and I use a deck of playing cards, just playing cards with the kids. Also, playing deck of playing cards. OK, yeah. and put it down over here, hold a card over here. And, you know, because there were so many in the car in the deck, I'll say to a kid. All right. Just pick it. You know, see the number. It is between one to ten. What number do you see? What color? OK, tell me. And so. The child, and I said, don't, you know, and I teach them, don't guess. What does guessing look like? Guessing looks like, oh, she's not going to pick a four. It's going to be a seven. She likes the number eight. Okay, that's guessing. 
Okay, that's not how it works. What happens to me, this is how I describe it to the kids and to the adults, it almost comes, and other people get it differently, but I like to use this description. It's almost like a, like a breeze, you know, like as if somebody were to blow wind and it, um, it was some wind would come through. And that is how this breeze of an image, a number, a knowing comes through. And if you trust that that comes through on that breeze you're gonna be right and then you know then the beta brain kicks in while you're doing the work which is no that can't be i saw four no i saw an okay Uh, since we've done this a little bit a lot of this information that we're talking about is in your book isn't it yes it's all in my book (laughs) children who know how to know is the Uh name of the book yeah um you've talked a lot about what's in the book. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about the book specifically right now. Just, just something just because it's important. This is the book. This is the book. Well, it's, it's divided into, into seven chapters and it's a how to book. And it took me a few years to write it, Bruce, because the scientific information kept, well, I knew what I was writing I knew what I wanted to, I knew what I was saying, but science wasn't catching up. And then I'd write a chapter and like two months later, there'd be some, some article in New Scientist or something confirming what I had just said. And it was like, okay, I got to, you know, I got to rewrite this chapter just a little bit and put some credits on the bottom. Okay. This is from here. So bottom line, finally, it was in 2016 where I had finished I'd finished this book and it was like, okay, that's it. I don't care if science keeps catching up. I'm gonna, it's ready to go now. This ready to give birth. It's time now. And so I sent it out to a few publishers and you know what, Bruce, I forgot all about it. I just forgot about it. I was in the process of selling my home and my focus went out, you know, I was doing other stuff. And then all of a sudden I get this, I was looking now, I was looking for an agent. I had just decided I was going to look for an agent and I get this email and it's, it's, you know, Hey, if you are interested in publishing with us, we're ready. It's like, oh God, yes, thank you. So the book is seven chapters. It's a how-to book and it is really easy reading and basic in terms of where we start with how we are all intuitive and then the brain, the way the brain develops for children, adults. Then we go into language, go into the belief system. I go into something known as intuitive heart, which is... um it is a kind of similar to heart math, except that this intuitive heart was developed before heart math came about from the Edgar Casey Institute, and it's not that well known. But I use that method to work with young children, especially kids who've had who have autism or serious um, labels of ADHD and. ADD. So I use the intuitive heart approach kids. Also, FYI, who are on the spectrum are amazing at this work. They're just, they're, they're so good at it. And um, then in the other chapters, in the last chapter, I talk about what happens beyond remote viewing and um, telepathy. So I talk about auras, out-of-body experiences, and other telekinesis and other phenomena, because I also work in the realm of telekinesis, which is moving objects over time distance, you know, moving objects with without touching them. 
which is the story of my other book, Annabelle and the Domino, which is I was just going to ask you about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, it's actually, it's, yeah. it's based on a true account of a young girl who was six years old. And there were many years ago, I taught at what is known as a magic school. And it wasn't really a magic school, but it was, you know, kind of like uh, we taught remote viewing, we taught neuroscience, psychic development, blindfolded archery. Oh, geez, we, you know, and this was, this was a school where the parents knew that this stuff works, and they wanted their kids to know that this stuff works. So, there was a young girl at that school who practiced moving a domino with her mind. And this stuff takes time. But you see, if you believe this, again, it goes faster. So it's Annabelle and the Domino is the fictional story um, of a young girl who was able to move a domino with her with her mind. And I've only seen it done two other times with children. Uh in my lifetime. So a total of three kids in my entire life. I've seen it with adults. Spoon bending is one example. I can do spoon bending myself, spoon bending, fork bending, you know, I have taught that to adults and that is, a you know, that's easier to do than moving a domino. And when I do workshops, we use a spiral and we do it with energy work like that, which is kind of like Reiki, but you know, again, you're, you're watching the spiral in the glass move. So when that happens, you have a physical, you see that your spiral that's in this glass is actually moving and spinning. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. So in my workshops, I've only seen two adults able to do that throughout the years. Again, it's not because they're not able to do it. It's just because it takes time and practice. So, you know, if you're doing a workshop what, how many hours do you have together? So first we have to get the belief, then we have to go into alpha, then we have to practice. So, it, you know, these, it takes time. But if somebody is home alone, they're practicing, these are all things that we can, we can all do. And um, during COVID, I did a lot of my own work in telekinesis. And then Afterwards, I started asking myself, okay, well, this is all really great. You know, I can turn off a water fountain um, with like over time distance, all right, with my hands, psychotronic power. And I started teaching and it was a lot of fun. So like, and then spoon bending. However, these are great now. I can do these things. So, you know, check the box, check the box. But what would it take to be able to transfer these skills and abilities into something else that would be perhaps um, more exciting or more more relevant to life? So that's where I started transferring it. Um, and finally, before we run out of time, let's talk about your uh, weekly podcast, because people should know that that exists. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you. So I do a weekly podcast. It's Wednesdays at 10 a.m. And it's live. So when people get on Podbean, they can call in with their questions. They can type in their questions. And occasionally, most of the time, I'll have a guest. And just if, like, for example, I always look to have people who ha are working in the metaphysical for the most part, but then I have other people who I have writers and, you know, um, yeah, I have, there are other people that come 
who writers and film producers and other people who have just used um, wonderful things to share. One of my favorite episodes, though, I did Magical Manifestation during March. And on that, I had on the podcast that month, I had three lottery winners, um, Timothy Schultz, who won the Powerball in 1997, and he's got his own channel, and he talked about what that was like and how he did it. And then I had Mark Houghton on who who wins. That's how he makes his living now, by teaching people how to win lotteries and win scratch-offs. But Mark may, you know, Mark had that really great experience. Then... Um, I had another woman, um, Carolyn Willman, who she also, she's known as the contest queen. She wins contests just like um, Helene Hadsall did back in the day. Anyway, just, it was a fabulous, it was a fabulous manifestation month that, that, that month. There were so many people creating, manifesting, um, and lots of tips and tools. Well, we're almost out of time, which in this particular case, it's too bad, but hopefully we can do this again and maybe talk a, little, a lot more. Maybe we'll talk, maybe we can do a show on Gurdjieff. That would be a cool, cool show. I don't get to talk to too many people about him, Bruce. <laughs> but that would be cool. That'd be really nice. Um, you have a, a, about three or four minutes. What would you like to say to our listeners? Something that you would like to leave with, leave them with? Watch your language. Right. Really watch your language, watch your thoughts. I mean, I'm not looking to sound like a policewoman, but our thoughts really do matter. Our words matter. We can create the most amazing lives for ourselves and our loved ones and people around us if we are merely conscious of the words that we're using and the things that we're saying to ourselves and to other people all day long. If we can really get that down, nail that language well, yes, because uh, what you say is very, very important. Even if you don't, even if you think you know that it's not true, or you presume that everybody knows that it's okay, words mm-hmm. matter. Yeah, and I'm glad. I'm glad you pointed that out. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on Timeless Voyager. It was great having you. And uh, for the rest of you, I want to thank you again for uh, being here today. Don't forget to subscribe, folks because it helps us to grow a larger audience. And and don't forget to hit that like button. I, I like to be liked. We all like being liked. Uh, this is Bruce Stephen Holmes, The Timeless Voyager. And, and I hope that your own personal voyage through life towards the development of your highest potential is a joyous and successful one.
Okay.